Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time, it's episode 83, and we're going to talk about gas versus electric. That's propane versus batteries, if you haven't been paying attention. We're also going to talk about dome light power and how you can use it. A tale from the road involving a mattress. Ooh. And a product review of the Amarine switch block. Ooh. Such exciting topics we have here for you today and every other day. Thank you once again for joining me as we discuss all things van life. And this week finds me in the delicate position of being without any vans. Yes, last week I had two. This week I have zero. Why is that? Because my main van, my NV200 that I've been traveling all over the place with is now uh, empty. I took all my stuff out of it because I'm going to sell it and I'm very sad about that. And my ambulance is now in the shop at Mercedes where it has been for a week and I'm not too happy about that. In fact, I'm quite upset about it. Um, but uh, they think there's a transmission fluid leak somewhere and they can't find it. So that's fun. At any rate, we have important things to talk about. And this is something that's been coming up a lot. Should your van power its inside stuff via gas or electricity? That is to say, should you install propane for heating, say, or just use electricity. Have the whole thing run on electricity and don't have propane at all. Now, I see a lot of people who are heading towards the side of all electric vans. In fact, many of the major RV manufacturers sell all electric vans. You do not have any propane in them at all. And if you think about it, well, what do you need propane for? Traditionally, in RVs, propane was used for, well, originally for literally everything. It would run the refrigerator. It would run your lights. It would be what you cooked with. It would heat your hot water. All the stuff you did in the back was done with propane and you didn't even have electricity back there. And then gradually as cars produced more reliable electricity with their batteries and alternators and vans and RVs started to adopt that, you started to get more of those appliances in the back. And then finally you got converters which took shore power and charged the batteries and powered the 12 volt devices and then we've gotten to the point now where battery technology is such that you can have everything in the back powered by electricity you can have an electric hot water heater you can have a microwave oven an induction cooktop and for heat well that's the one thing that is still not great for electricity there are electric heaters and rvs and such in fact i carry an electric heater with me when i'm going to use shore power all the time but most vehicles that are made by rv manufacturers will use an alternative fuel for heat but it is often diesel now so there's no need for propane why are people leaning towards batteries and not propane well propane is a flammable gas and it has always scared people to some extent uh, in, in fact, the same problem exists in houses with natural gas. There are folks who will never, ever, ever have natural gas in their house because they've heard of it exploding and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, sure, that actually does happen, although not all that often. And then there's other folks like me that grew up with gas and they think cooking on an electric stove kind of feels weird. So there are lots of opinions here, but let's talk about this and let you guys have all the information so you can make the right decision 
when you are building out your own van or picking a van that you're going to travel in. So when I'm talking about gas, I'm talking about propane. I'm not going to talk about butane. I'm not going to talk about white gas or even gasoline, which is used for some things. You can actually have a gasoline lantern. But no, 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 we're not doing any of that. We're just talking about propane. So you hear gas, think propane. I know this is confusing for the Europeans who think gas is a weird word Americans use for gasoline, which is petrol. Anyway, number one pro of propane, I think, is propane hmm. is that it's cheap propane is a relatively inexpensive way to generate a lot of heat in your van think about it you can get a regular grill size 20 pound can of propane and hook it up to your 20 30 dollar stove that you got from ebay or amazon or whatever and you're going to be cooking for an entire season with that and that cost you, what, 25 bucks maybe? It's pretty cheap. And lately, it's very easy to find because in the old days, you used to have to take your tank to the propane dealer and then they would come out and fill up your bottle and all this stuff. In fact, I used to be one of those guys that filled propane bottles. I actually had a license to do that at one time. And now you basically just go to Home Depot or Menards or the hardware store or sometimes gas stations or even supermarkets and you just swap your can. You swap your bottle or whatever you want to call the thing. But side note, did you know that if you do the propane canister swap, you don't actually get a full bottle? It's true. They don't fill them up as much. And they say it's because, oh, it's safer that way. Or, oh, it weighs less, so it's more accessible. I'm pretty sure it's just because people don't know and they don't realize they're buying less propane than if they went and got it filled up. So just know that, that if you're going to do the propane tank exchange thing, you are paying a price for that convenience. Anyway, it's still pretty easy. If you're in any city of any size in the U.S. and you run out of propane, you know that you can just go swap bottles. And if you have a tank that's not that size, it's not that hard to find a place to fill it up. Many campgrounds will do it. Many gas stations will do it. And there's some place in just about any town. And, and ironically, they're easier to find in rural places because rural places use propane to heat their homes, especially up north. The other nice thing about propane is that you can store a large amount of it. You can use those one-pound cans, as I've been doing, but that's the most expensive way to do propane. You can get the standard gas grill size can, or you can even undermount a big tank that would last you for many years. I've talked about the Wander Lodge I owned. Its propane tank was so large that for the entire time I owned the vehicle, I never filled it. I don't even know how much was in it. I bought it, I used it, I never filled it, and it was enough gas for the entire time I owned it. That's a really nice feature of propane. Now, what are the cons? Well, it can be dangerous. Of course it can be dangerous. It's a flammable gas. It can leak out, and it's poisonous, although poisoning isn't that big of a problem because it smells. You know, they add mercaptan to it, so you smell it, and uh, you're generally not going to have a problem with poisoning. But it, the problem is that it can gather in spaces, and then a spark can hit it, and it can explode. That's not a good thing. And... It also can run out. I mean, you have to think about that. Is gauges for propane tanks are notoriously unreliable. I mean, they're 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 so unreliable as to be almost worthless. And you can run out suddenly, and then you're you're screwed. If you're out boondocking and you suddenly run out of gas, well, that's it. You have to go to town and get more gas. 
One that a lot of people don't think about is road restrictions. There are places you can't go with a large quantity of propane, such as the Bay Bridge Tunnel or any tunnel almost, and some bridges even, which I think is weird. If I'm not mistaken, I think the lower deck of the George Washington Bridge in New York has a propane restriction. So that's something you have to think about a little bit. And, And sometimes that restriction is just as simple as you have to turn the main valve off, but other times you're not allowed to go in there at all. And... It takes up space. Propane bottles can be very, very big, and that space is permanently gone. So that's enough for propane. What about electricity? Well, it's it's easy. I mean, once you hook it up, that's it. You don't have to think about it anymore. Yeah, you have to think about how you're going to charge it, but generally, once your electric system is set up, you don't think about it anymore. It's just always there, and that's super nice. Also, electric is eco-friendly. If you are driving a vehicle that does not have a smart alternator or you are charging your batteries with solar, it's pretty close to free energy, and that's always eco-friendly. You're going to be driving your vehicle anyway, so that alternator is going to power those batteries anyway. Again, this is only if you have a a non-smart alternator. Smart alternators would shut off if your batteries didn't need to be charged, but because they do, the alternator turns on and that actually uses some of your fuel, so it's less eco-friendly. But solar other than the ecological impact of actually creating solar panels, is producing power from the sun, and that's about as eco-friendly as you can get. It's also easy to combine with shore power, and why that's important is that you can use the same devices whether you're plugged into shore power or not, because once you plug into shore power, that power can go through a converter, and that will power all your 12-volt accessories in your van, so that is also a good option. But Hey, electric has cons, the biggest of which is that it's expensive. If you want to do it upright and never have to think about it again, well, you might spend thousands of dollars on batteries and panels. It also can be dangerous. In fact, it can be so dangerous that I would argue that more vans have burned down because of electrical problems than because of gas problems. Gas is kind of simpler, and when something goes wrong with gas, it's more obvious. But electricity is subtle. It can heat up in places that you're not paying attention to. In fact, Combi Life, if you've ever watched Hosta Alaska, where they drive all the way to Alaska, their van caught fire when they weren't even there. In fact, their van was stored. And something like three weeks after it was stored, the battery caught fire and burned out their entire rig. So, yeah, you're not going to get away with, uh, with that risk just because you went electric. And it can also be complicated to install, depending on how you're going to do it. Propane, you basically have a tank, a regulator, a hose, and a device. It's pretty darn simple. But electricity, you could have batteries, a shunt, a converter, an inverter, a solar controller, and a battery-to-battery charger, and you'd have to know all the wire gauges and the proper fusings, and it's, it's just there's more to know. So... Given all that I've just said, which is the right thing for you? Do you want electric or do you want propane? My answer is that if you're going to be doing any kind of boondocking, you want both. And the reason is that you want options. If anyone has ever seen my original van tour video on YouTube, you'll notice that I have backup systems for my backup systems. That's just kind of how I am. I think I have three levels of backup lights and three levels of backup batteries in my NV200. 
I like backup systems. And if I'm ever out boondocking, if my batteries all die, well, I want to have propane to fall back on. Or if I run out of propane, I want to have electricity to fall back on. And it's just a matter of resilience. So you decide what's best for you. There's the pros and cons of both. There is no right and there is no wrong. But absolutely think of both. And if you're just naturally afraid of one or the other, learn a little bit more of it and you might find yourself less afraid. Tech Talk. I have talked about this before, but it's come up like three times lately, so I'm going to talk about it again. And that is dome light power. Now, dome light is kind of an old-fashioned term for that light that turns on when you open your doors. That light is special in one way, and that is that it always has a 12-volt power supply going to it. Always. It's basically going directly to the battery through the fuse block. If you don't have your key in there, it doesn't matter. This is a useful thing for folks who are making modifications to their vehicles because we're adding more and more stuff up front and it's sometimes hard to find 12 volts like that, especially in the ceiling. Now you might think, well, what do I need power in the ceiling for? I think a lot of things. One thing that comes to mind that I've been using for years is a backup camera. I have a backup camera that's mounted to the windshield and it gets its power from the dome light. How about a GoPro? If you're going to do a long time lapse of, say, a, an epic road trip you're doing, well, you're going to go through the battery of that GoPro pretty quick, but you can plug it in to the dome light. Another thing is backup cameras. Backup cameras need power, and while you, you have to run a data cable up there anyway, and you arguably could just run a power cable as well as the data cable, maybe you forgot, or maybe it wasn't that convenient, I don't know. The dome light is still an answer. So how do you take power out of the dome light? The devices I've used don't actually use 12 volt. They're USB power devices. So that's a little, this is a little Rube Goldbergian, but it actually works. I wire up a 12 volt outlet in the headliner to the dome light. And then I plug in a USB converter, basically a cigarette lighter phone charger into that zip tie them together so it won't fall out and then that'll power my whatever i'm trying to power you can modify that any way you'd like and i have found that in most cases i don't have to drop the headliner to do this i can just take down the dome light the map light whatever kind of light you have and work in that hole i've done this in three different vehicles now it has worked fine in all three it's safe because this is a fused circuit. And if you're worried about drawing too much amperage on the circuit, there's a very easy way to reduce the amperage, and that is to replace the dome light with an LED light bulb. If you have a dome light that uses an old incandescent bulb, one that gets hot, you can just put in an LED light bulb, and suddenly that thing's drawing a fraction of the current, and that current can be used for your device. And if in the off chance that you somehow put a device up there that draws too much power, well, then yes, I'm afraid you're going to have to run another cable. Because remember, fuses protect the wires, not the devices. You can't just add a bigger fuse. Anyway, I think it's a great tip. I wish car manufacturers would actually start thinking of this and just put power up there. But until they do, hey, your dome light gives you power. Take advantage of it. Tales from the road. I have to apologize here because during the week, somebody asked me to tell a specific tale on the road this week, and I've completely forgotten what it was. So if you know who you are, 
Get back in touch with me, and I'll tell that tale next week. I just don't remember which tale it is. So, I have another tale, and this tale involves my Mini Cruiser. This was the very small 17-foot RV that was based on a Toyota front, a little Toyota pickup truck front, and then like a Class C back. Fully self-contained, just very small. And when you own a vehicle like this and you have young friends, as I did while I was living in Utah with this thing, they ask you to help move. An RV isn't the greatest thing to move with, but it beats, say, a Toyota Tercel. And in this case, I had a friend who was moving from Salt Lake City to Cedar City, and they had mattresses they needed to get down there. Well, I had a vehicle with a big flat roof, so I said, fine. We took the mattresses, hauled them up on the roof, and I tied them down as best I could. Now, anyone who has tied down mattresses will learn very quickly that they have not tied it down enough. Mattresses are very deceptive. You actually need to tie them down probably 10 times more than you would intuitively think. And I would argue the best way to tie them down is to put a tarp over them. But uh, as uh, you can probably tell where this story is going, oh, driving down somewhere near Provo, yeah, we suddenly didn't have to mattresses on the roof. In fact, I just caught a glimpse of a shadow passing out the very tiny back window of the RV as the topmost mattress flew into the middle of I-15, which I believe this was Friday night and actually had a good amount of traffic on it. Immediately, I saw a Jeep Cherokee drive over the mattress and I pulled over because I knew that if that one mattress fell off, the other one wasn't going to be far behind. And then I noticed that the Jeep Cherokee pulled over as well and stopped maybe 100 feet behind me. And uh, I thought that was a little odd. I'm like, I don't know why they would pull over. Maybe they just thought they were going to help or something. I, you know, maybe I, if they, they, I'm going to assume the best of people. And I thought, they're going to help me out. But they didn't. Um, they got out of their vehicle and then immediately crawled under their vehicle. This is an odd behavior, I thought. Meanwhile, I waited for a gap in the traffic, and I went and grabbed the mattress and dragged it onto the side of the road, and I noticed the mattress was actually pretty damaged. I figured maybe I could pick it up and put it back on the RV, but no, it was all ripped up. And that was when I realized why the Cherokee stopped. Their universal joint in their drive shaft had grabbed the fabric of the mattress and ripped it off and incorporated it <laughs> into the vehicle. And the poor person, who was a woman, was under there with a screwdriver trying to get all the cloth out of her universal joint. And then I noticed the sheriff's badge on the side of the Grand Cherokee. And I thought maybe this was a good time not to be there anymore. So I um, felt bad about it, but I kind of got in the motorhome and drove away. And uh, there was no pursuit, and I don't know that there could have been. I still feel guilty about that, um, but I will be honest and say that that is what I did. You may think less of me. <laughs> and, 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 well, yeah, that's about all I can say about that. Product review. A lot of people who have seen the video of my van have no commented on my switches. The, the way I wired my van is a little odd, but I basically sent all my 12 volt circuits through a switch block. Rather than sending through a fuse block, I sent mine to a bank of switches. It's eight toggle switches, very heavy duty, waterproof, each with a circuit breaker. 
This is designed for boats, and boats often use circuit breakers instead of fuses because it's hard to find a fuse at sea. <laughs> if you happen to run out of 10 amp fuses while you were a thousand miles from shore, that would be bad. But a circuit breaker, you can just, you know, press the button and you're fine. And I thought, well, this is a pretty good solution. And what I got was is called the an A Marine eight gang outlet switch or switch block. And I will have a link for it in the show notes. Honestly, this thing has been great. It only lights up when you turn things on and it lights up with just a thin red stripe. And this is something people get into trouble with is that they buy these switches that light up great and they're like, ooh, isn't that pretty? And then they try to sleep in their van and they realize that their switches are actually keeping them up at night, especially blue lights. Avoid blue lights on anything you buy. Take it from someone who knows. But this doesn't have that problem. It has thin red lights, and it also comes with labels, so you can label each switch very professionally. Now, the labels are marine-oriented, so I had to be a little creative. My roof fan is actually labeled aeration <laughs> because I use the fan sticker for my actual fan. But that's fine. You're creative. You'll find a way to handle that. The only negative thing I can say about the switch block is that the circuit breakers are of all different sizes. So I, I don't know that that's a negative, but you have to plan. Some of them are 15 amps and some of them are five amps. And remember that the circuit breaker protects the wiring. So I wasn't actually able to match the wiring to the circuit breakers. My way of handling this was that basically all my wires can handle 15 amps and I just put the lowest draw devices on the circuits that use the lowest amount of stuff. For example, I have LED lights that draw zero. I mean, it's like they don't draw anything at all. That's on the five amp circuit. But then the other circuit that has, say, the refrigerator on it, well, I'll put that on the 15 amp circuit. And that has worked just fine. I have never, ever tripped one of these circuit breakers. It has never happened. Wiring is fairly easy, although it's interesting. They don't give you the thing as one eight gang unit. It's actually two four gang units. So if you want to use all eight together on one circuit, you have to wire them together, or you can have them be on two circuits. You could even have, have them be on separate batteries, or you could have one be ignition hot and one run off the battery. You can do whatever you want. Anyway, they're 50 bucks. They're super high quality, and you can buy them in six and four and two and even one switch configurations. I will be looking to buy a marine stuff Again, because this thing has been such high quality. And by the way, A Marine is spelled A and the word Marine, except it's one word. A Marine or Amarini or Amarin. I don't know. It's A Marine. That's what I'm calling it. I'll have a link in the show notes. It sells out often. So if you can't find it at my link, you can also go to amarine.com and they might have it there. A place to visit. I learned a while ago that if I'm starting to fall asleep on the interstate, one of the things I can do to avoid that is to get off the interstate. And it's true that in most of the U.S. there are other roads that more or less follow the interstate. You don't have to be on the interstate. Of course, it's going to be quicker. And uh, let's see, last year when I was coming back from aurora nevada i was driving through kansas having a hell of a time trying to stay awake and so i turned left and i ended up on the lincoln highway which i have many times and i found myself in cocker city that's c-a-w-k-e-r cocker city kansas now cocker city kansas is kind of famous if you can believe it because it is home to the world's largest ball of twine 
and yeah, there's actually a whole bunch of different cities that that claim that title, and I don't know why it's such an important thing, but. They've got a very big ball of twine, and you can see it, and heck, why not? If you're wondering why balls of twine are a thing, it's because when you're on a farm, hay is often wrapped in twine, and you end up with a lot of twine. And twine can be a hazard. It can mess up farm implements and stuff, so you have to do something with it. And, well, it just tends to get balled up, and after a few years on a farm, that ball can grow quite big, and then people start getting competitive about it, because that's how people are. So Cocker City has a really, really big ball of twine that was made in the 1950s and when i say it's big well how big can a ball of twine be i'm trying to think of something to measure it to it's about the size of a sprinter van <laughs> it's bigger actually it is taller and wider i think if you took two sprinter vans and put them side by side and then maybe put another one on the top of those you might get close to how big this thing is it's pretty amazing now to me that's maybe not enough reason to make a special trip to a place. I mean, maybe you are somebody who loves stuff like that, but there's something else here that I think is, is just, it's enough to put the, the icing on the cake and make me want to go back to Cocker city. And that is a 1930s gas station that somebody turned into a motel, but not, not a motel, a motel room. You can basically rent this remodeled 1930s gas station, complete with gas pumps. I mean, it looks just like it was brand new from 1935, and then you can sleep in it. There's a bedroom, there's a kitchenette, there's a shower, it's everything you would need in a motel, and you can just park your car right at the pumps, and you can have your own gas station for the night. I may, I just may, go out there and spend a night and make a video of it because I think it's such a cool idea. But you have to see the pictures to do justice. It's 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 really cute. So I'll have a link in the show notes to these things. It's Cocker City, Kansas, and it's one of those great American road trip kind of places that you'll always be happy that you saw, and then you'll kind of wonder why somebody would spend all that time with twine. resource recommendation here's one out of left field i don't think anybody has ever come up with this before <laughs> let's say you need these things you need a place to park you need a fairly inexpensive place to have a meal and you need wi-fi what is all three of those things the answer is a hospital now bear with me Hospitals have cafeterias. Those cafeterias have Wi-Fi. And there are always different people coming and going in there. And those people are in there often for many hours as they're waiting for somebody. And nobody thinks twice about anyone bringing a laptop in there. So if you find yourself in the need of Wi-Fi, and let's say it's like 7 at night, and the coffee shops are closed, and you really have no idea where you're going to go get Wi-Fi, go have a meal at the hospital. Nobody will ask any questions except that, are you an employee? Do you get the employee discount? That's it. I've done this many times because my mother was a nurse and my wife is a doctor and I spend a fairly decent amount of time in hospitals. It works great. In fact, I was there once and this guy not only brought in his laptop, but brought in two monitors and kind of took over a table as this giant office. And nobody cared because it's a hospital. People only care about what's going on with them there. So, hey, 
just add it to your quiver of places to go to get Wi-Fi. Hospital cafeterias can really work well. And in my experience, the Wi-Fi has been pretty good in hospitals because it's not a place that people typically abuse it. And I'm not suggesting that you do either. Q&A. This one came out of left field as well, but I have an answer. Which potty method, that is, which type of toilet, has the least interaction with the stuff in the toilet? Now, the person who asked this question is new to all this and kind of misunderstood how black tanks worked. She thought black tanks were this thing that you would kind of, all your business would end up in there and then you would drive up to a dump station press a button on the dashboard and all your problems would go away and then you just drove off and as those of us who have used black tanks know no no this is not how that works having a black tank means getting fairly intimate with your effluent and uh, that's exactly the opposite of what this person wants so considering all the different kinds of toilets that you can have in vans would be composting or a cassette toilet or a traditional black tank method, I think the one that is the least intimate, shall we say, is actually the bag and bucket method. <laughs> no, no, really, it seems primitive. But if you think about it, you sit on a bag, whether it be on a bucket or a specialized seat or whatever, do your business. If you're smart, you'll then empty your trash can in the bag to kind of get rid of everything all at once. And then you seal up the bag very well and throw the bag out. You're not really interacting with this stuff at all. If you have a cassette toilet, you've got to find a place to dump it, and then you've got to physically dump it. So it's there, and, you know, things can splash, and there's certainly odors and all that. If you have a composting toilet, it's a little better, but you still have that urine tank you have to deal with. And then eventually you got to empty the thing, and hopefully if everything went well, the emptying it is just like dumping dirt out. But that isn't always how it goes. And, of course, we've already talked about the black tank. So when I consider all those options, I think that is the way to go if that's your concern in fact i might be doing that as when i finish out the ambulance now if you have money and you want to try something else there's two other ways there's the incinerator toilets these um this is a kind of a marine solution as well but they basically will burn your poop and urine away that's what they do and they some of them use electricity some of them use propane i've heard very mixed results and they're very expensive they're more suited for i would say a boat or a cabin than a van and the other way is, um, if, if you're familiar with diaper genies, there's kind of a toilet that makes kind of space baggies out of your stuff. Uh, you use the toilet and then they're into, it's into a mylar bag. It's actually a tube and then it spins it around and seals it. And then you end up with these little packets and uh, they're all attached to each other. If you've ever used a diaper genie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And then when you're done with those, you throw them away. And, and that's not a bad way to go, but it's kind of expensive because you have to keep buying those Mylar bags. And, well, no one's going to think twice about you tossing a trash bag away. Uh, what? Why's that guy got all those weird space baggies? You know, that might be a little strange. And for those of you who think that there's a problem with disposing of your human waste in the garbage... Let me remind you that that's what we do with our pets and also with our children. There really isn't any difference. Nobody is assuming that their garbage is free from icky stuff, so don't even worry about that. Just bag it really well. 
don't use the cheap trash bags. Don't use grocery store bags unless you're going to like triple or quadruple them. And anyway, there you go. I understand that there are many other concerns with toilets and there are people who won't like this for environmental reasons or aesthetic reasons or whatever. But this person's question was which method would involve the least interaction with the stuff. And I think that's the one. Well, folks, thank you very much for listening to episode 83. Music, as always, is by Simon Wagg. If you're wondering what happened with the Auroras, I promise they have not gone away. I'm just in limbo now with these two vehicles. In fact, I'm going to head out to some more Auroras this week, and I have several in the can. So stay tuned. You will be getting more. And until next time, remember these words of wisdom. I travel because I become uncomfortable being too comfortable.